Hello and welcome to The Long Take, the podcast where two good buds talk about anything and everything film and cinema. I'm Taylor. And I'm Zach. We hope to bring our love of cinema to your car, speaker, laptop, headphones, whatever you may be listening on. So join us, put us in the background or foreground of your day as we explore the beautiful and vast world of film. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of The Long Take. Um, and at this time, in light of the holidays, uh, when what better episode or discussion to have than to talk about something that you will probably be doing with your family as you gather for the Thanksgiving holiday and you sit down to talk about whatever that may be, what Aunt Carol's wearing, what new diet is taking over social media, or perhaps who you voted for in the election, um, whatever topic it may be, you're ultimately probably going to have some divisiveness at the dinner table. So with that being said, we, Taylor and I, decided to talk about some films that were uh, divisive amongst both critics and audiences alike. So we looked to Screen Rant's top 10 films, of the, or top 15, excuse me, of the last decade, and we selected a couple of films that we thought would be great talking points, um, some of which we agree on, some of which we have differences of opinion on, and ultimately, Indeed. that's where we're going to take it from today. So without further ado, uh, Taylor, take us off with the film that we will first be talking about today. <clears throat> so um, I'll go ahead and I'll just go, if it's okay with you, I'll go ahead and list the films or you can list out the films total just so people can kind of see what we're going to do. Sure. Go for it, man. Okay. Um, so I believe I have the right order here. Um, the films that we decided on um, are the last Jedi um, Batman versus Superman um, interstellar and hereditary. Uh, and it, like Zach said, that some of those were, uh, you know, had, Audiences looking one way and critics looking another and vice versa and divisiveness between audiences themselves. So uh, I'm going to start off uh, talking about a film that I did love. And if I remember correctly, you were not as much a fan, um, Mm -hmm. but The Last Jedi. Um, And I will just say, and I think I said this in the last episode in relation to that subject, I just love Star Wars, and I know that maybe that probably sounds like a cop-out, but I truly just love (laughs) Star Wars, and I mean, it can really be anything. Um, I mean, really, anything can come out that's Star Wars related, and I will watch it, read it, play it, listen to it, whatever it is, and so I kind of just went into The Last Jedi. I mean, The Force Awakens was great. Um I don't know what you thought about the Force Awakens, but I thought it was I loved great. It. I loved, yeah. yeah, no, I thought it was great. I I love the Force Awakens, and so I wasn't really expecting like I don't really expect anything when I see a Star Wars movie. I just expect Star Wars, and I know I'm gonna love it. Yeah, um, I know that critics did love it. It has a ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but it does have a two point five with audiences. Um. So obviously there's quite a line there, not too fine. Um, but Star Wars will just, it, it'll always have my heart no matter what. Um, and I, I definitely understand why there were complaints about The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, with kind of, from what I gather, 
There were some issues with the writing. There were some issues with the connections with the Star Wars universe. Um, there were just some kind of like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Questions. Do I have that right? So, yeah, if I, if I may. Um, so here's something I never thought I would ever say. So I watched the film today. Um, it's been a while. I've only seen the film once. And, uh, and today would be my second time. First time I saw it in theater, I hated it. Um, I didn't like it at all. And uh, oddly enough, um, and you're hearing it first, you know, you're hearing it first, folks. Um, I saw it today and I actually enjoyed it as its own film. Well, that's good to hear. Um, yeah, it's funny how these things change. And the more I thought about where my head, where my mind was then when I first saw it versus now, I think in what you were saying is uh, the writing, things like that. There are some differences Um for like what I and, I and I think this has to deal with something we've already talked about, which is expect fan expectations um, going into a film. And mm-hmm. I think that the unclear <clears throat> and very different in storytelling between J.J. Abrams and director Ryan Johnson, who did The Last Jedi, you can see that there's a difference in the tone. There's a difference in the writing. There's a difference in the story that's trying to be told. And that's where I think, you know, just kind of taking a side note here, that's where the Rise of Skywalker ultimately fails. Um, is because you're trying to make amends for the first two that came before it. Now, that being said, I do think The Last Jedi was a actually it was actually a pretty good film. Um, and because and I think the biggest thing as to why fans were so divisive and you know against critics um, was because of the expectation, because of what came before it, because it to me when I was watching it changed the nature of Star Wars a little bit. For the story that they were trying to tell, it wasn't the same old thing. Whereas the Force Awakens, as much as I loved it, it reminded me of a revamp of A New Hope. Um, pretty much just a copy. Uh, that's what it kind of reminded me of when I first saw that. Uh, with nostalgia, you know, callbacks to the old stuff, everything like that. But then watching um, the Last Jedi, it just was like, we're changing it. This is a whole new thing. Yeah. This is a completely different story than you've <clears throat> ever seen. You know, they explored the different, uh, you know, the, the universe a little bit more. Um, and I all I really, really liked Ray's journey. I liked Luke Skywalker in this film. Um, it was actually good to see him like a little different. Like, you can see that the time has aged on him. The, the Jedi, the training, everything has really just kind of changed him. And so at the end of the film, we do see this redeeming arc where he comes back and he's like, you know what? Like, let me do one last hurrah for the sake of the Jedi. Um, so, and you know, didn't think I would be saying that on today's episode, but I actually enjoyed The Last Jedi for what it is um, as its own film. Um, so that that's, you know, I kind of have to agree, maybe not for the same reasons that you're saying, you know, Star Wars, I love it. There's a little bit of a bias there. But just watching it again after all these years, I'm like, you know, this ain't this ain't half bad. This has actually got some pretty good stuff in it. You know, the characters, some I, just, I feel like some characters do get sidetracked a little bit or, or pushed to the side. Um, for the sake of story or writing or whatever. But um, I do think it, it was better the second time around once you kind of look at the bigger picture of things. Yeah, I <clears throat> I think that the expectations is a good point um, because I, I was reading some audience reviews and you always got to take those with a grain of salt. It's like reading oh, yeah. reviews on Amazon. Um, <laughs> but... There were a lot of people like one thing that stood out is I saw it's not easy being a fan of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And I was like my first inclination. I was just like, shut, shut up. <laughs> but 
I, I think that's, it's kind of like, you either go into it as a Star Wars fan. You go into it, there, I think there are two kinds of Star Wars fans when it comes to the films. Mm-hmm. One of them is me. Is like, it's Star Wars, I'm going to go have a good time. Like, it's going to be fun, and whatever happens, I'm going to enjoy it. Um, obviously, I like other films above others, but like, I'm a fan of the prequels. Yeah. Like, you know, and those are, a lot of people hate the prequels. Um, and then there's the other fan that's kind of like, I expect the best from Star Wars. Yeah. Every single movie, I expect the best, which is fine. That's totally valid. Like, I absolutely think you should expect the best from something that you have dedicated so much of your, whatever, thought and time um, and emotions to. You would expect the best, of course. But um, I, I think that kind of narrows down uh, some expectations that people have. And that, at, at its most basic form, that's one person that has expectations. The other one doesn't. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I kind of, I felt like uh, it reminded me a lot of like when you have a favorite band and you and I can relate to this pretty closely mm-hmm. because, you know, my favorite band is Fall Out Boy. I know you're a fan as well. Yes. Um, but when you have a favorite band, one album, they suddenly go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, like just because the examples here, you know, Fall Out Boy started out very pop punk, emo punk. Um, and then they gradually sort of ease their way into more like, I don't know, I guess pop rock, um, a little bit of like experimentation in there, mm-hmm. uh, with some electronic, but they were very much as, so adapting to, I think the, our culture now and trying to hit an audience, you know, right. They exactly. Sustain, which I, they could be a sustainable band. Right. And I think movies do that as well, or at Absolutely. least that are long series. So, yeah. um, you know, and you have two choices you can either say hey this is my favorite band like i'm gonna love them and whatever the direction they go in i may not like it as much but i'm still gonna support them and i'm gonna give it a chance or and both of these are valid or you you know listen to this new album you're like wow why did they take this huge right turn like nobody wants to listen to this this isn't fallout boy whoever you're talking about Mm -hmm. this is entirely different and then you know you're kind of like i don't want to listen to this yeah which is also fine um, but that, that's what I thought of immediately when I thought of the last Jedi. Um, so it's, it's really, it's, what's the word? It's nice to hear you say that you came around to liking it. Obviously, you know, you have your own opinions, but yeah, I'm glad you were able to watch it again and kind of see, uh, you know, I guess it changed your outlook a little bit. No, for sure. And, 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 you know, going over the Rotten Tomato scores, um, Again, as a film, as it just as itself, I can understand why critics are like, "No, this is actually a pretty solid film." But to Star Wars fan, they, you know, Star Wars, you know, the, the fandom, you know, that is, you know, Star Wars, whatever you want to call it. Um, again, my points being like, you're expecting one thing, you're getting another, and I think that has to play with, um, you know, who's in the writers' room, who is directing, what is the vision here, what's going on at the studios. You know, all those different things um, over at Disney, um, that played a huge part of it. And again, it's we got The Force Awakens, which is a great refresh. You know, we got the nostalgia. We got all this stuff to kind of bring us back into the Star Wars world. And then The Last Jedi just takes a complete left turn, I felt like. Um, But again, watching it now, I'm like, this is not a bad thing. 
but you need to finish it off in the third film. But we never got to really see that. And we saw what I, what I want to call a butchered finale. Um, and it was not the vision that I think that was intended um, ultimately for this arc, whether you look at Ryan Johnson or whether you look at JJ Abrams, I mean, whoever the third film does not live up to the first two, which actually kind of line up, you know? Um, but yes, I, I, I came around to, to finding more enjoyment in that film um, the second time around. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we can briefly uh, at least uh, talk about kind of on the surface of rise of Skywalker. Um because you know you mentioned it as the third film, if you'd like, uh, it it has fifty one percent on Rotten Tomatoes mm-hmm. and three point five with the audience. So that was kind of like now is this three point five in Metacritic? It's audience rating summary on Google. I think it's Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Um, but yeah, I know Rise of Skywalker was like I've heard people even say like, oh, the prequels are better. Other than Rise of Skywalker, um, I, I mean, it's honestly we don't have to dive that deep into it. I, I sort of just have the same outlook on Rise of Skywalker. Like, I definitely recognize why it was so disliked. Mm-hmm. Um, literally, the second thing searched on Google is how bad is the Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say that so, it's a fun film. Like, I watched it the, the second go around. I will say it was a fun film. It just isn't great in terms of this trilogy like it's the weakest of the three of the new trilogy um and you should really try to go out with a bang um but the first time i hated it the pacing was so those weird the writing was weird it was again trying to fix everything you got jj abrams behind the chair again so you're all you know jj or jj ryan and then jj again so he's trying to fix everything that ryan undid and it's again this just weird match this weird frankenstein of a movie um, but Star Wars is, is, is for another episode, I think, uh, diving into sure. that. On the note of things that happen uh, in the director's chair and director's visions and things like that, that actually is a great segue to our next pick, um, which I personally have grown to enjoy more, more and more and more over the years. Um, and I just watched last night the uh, Ultimate Edition, um, and that film is going to be Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice. Now, for the for some of you who are listening and thinking to yourself, Zach. You're up and down with this film. You liked it, then you didn't like it. What are you saying now? What I'm saying is that Zack Snyder did not really get the chance that he deserved. And Zack Snyder is a – the guy knows how to make a visually orgasmic film. That Everything he makes is just stimulation to the eyes. Um, he knows how to make a good comic book movie. He's, he did 300. He did Watchmen. He did Man of Steel in this movie. Sucker Punch, you know, I'm not sure if that's a graphic novel or what, but – a lot of his films are, are just beautiful to look at. And when you when you start to di- dissect it into what 
his vision was for for Man of Steel and you know the the five film arc he had. And then of course Justice League, which you know thank God we're getting Zack Snyder's cut in 2021. Um, you'll really see that this was really just a, a second film in that process. So we really never got to see the payoff of it. Uh, and perhaps we'll see that in, in 2021. Um, and on that note, you know, the critics, when it came out, just destroyed it. The critics destroyed this film. Uh, 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. The audience had it at a 62%, which is just about, that's a passing, that's pretty much a passing grade um, with Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Um, but I know you had mentioned uh, when we were going over this list, um, you know, this was a film that you were not so much in, in necessarily the favor of. Um, and so I would actually, I'm more curious to kind of hear what your point of view is before I dive too deep into why I think it's a better film. You said 62% on Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah. Fans favorite at 62%. Oh, fans. Okay. I have critics at 29. Yeah, the critics, 29. They yeah. obliterated this. They did not like this film um yeah interestingly enough chris terrio was on the screenplay he was also on the screenplay for rise of skywalker yep yeah so ben affleck and him worked together so i'm i'm assuming they brought him along um you know and chris terrio's got some good credits under him uh, argo being one of them oscar-winning film so argo is a, is a great film that's it's funny because one of my one of my complaints about both rise of skywalker and um bat news superman is that they're just kind of all over the place mm-hmm um, and I don't know, like I just felt when I was, I haven't watched the ultimate edition with the extended cuts. Um, I'm probably going to watch the Zack Snyder cut, but I, I just, it just felt so wild to me. Like it felt like the, it just jumped from subject to subject and then back and then forth again and then back again. It was a little bit hard to keep up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I really enjoyed Ben Affleck. Yes. Like every part of the movie that he was in, uh, I loved the bat suit. I loved the way that he portrayed Batman, you know, and I know that they were going for, I think you can please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they were going for like in the comics, the older, like more grizzled Frank Miller, Dark Knight Returns. Yup. And, and as someone who's read those comics, they did a very, very good job with going for someone who is not too old, but he's old and worn down enough. And in this universe that Zach had built, um, I think Ben was at first I was skeptical of Ben, you know, but, you know, as I've come to learn with actors, you have to give them a chance to prove what they can do. So Pattinson, I'm looking at you. I'm, I'm giving you a chance here. I know. I think you're going to do great work. Oh, you know? I'm so excited. I'm so um, excited. Twilight's a thing of the past. We're not even going to talk about it, but Batfleck. I think Batfleck was a great decision, a, a refreshing take on Batman and Bruce Wayne um, that puts him in the universe with these other heroes for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. He's. I really, really wanted to see what Ben Affleck could do with Batman on his yeah. own. Um, and I, I don't remember why that did they did WB or DC just kind of take over or WB? I guess. In what regard do you mean? Because I remember when it first started, like a long time ago, they were like, oh, Ben Affleck's going to have his own Batman trilogy. Uh, he's going to write and direct and star in. So if if I'm if what I read was correct, Ben Affleck was dealing with alcoholism for a very long time um, and going into Batman vs. Superman, you know, then having to then from there launch his own set of films where he was going to write, direct and star in a lot of pressure there. Whatever was going on at home with his family at the time. 
all that was weighing down on him. And he said in an interview when he was doing the press for the way back um, that he had, he had a great script. He said, he showed it to a buddy, a buddy of his was, and everyone who's seen this script apparently uh, has said it has talked nothing but praise for it. You know, Ben is not a terrible writer. Um, you say what you want about his acting, but the guy can write some pretty good scripts, you know? And um, he had this script for, for his Batman film. And they said, if you do this, Ben, you're going to drink yourself to death. Um, so to each their own, whatever the demons are, but you know, he, he passed on it for the sake of his health. And I respect that hundred percent. Um, which is then what happened, you know, they brought on Matt Reeves to direct. Then Matt Reeves said, I want to rewrite the entire script. Then he said, I don't even want Ben Affleck in the role. Cause you know, after this, after the disappointment of justice League, I mean, I don't think I would want to be part of that either, you know? Yeah. So then the, yeah, that was, he revamped yeah. everything with Pattinson to bring him in. And, uh, if any, if for anyone who's seen the trailer, it looks like an amazing, amazing film that we're about to get. Uh, um, in I believe 2020, I think it's late 2021, if not 2022 now because of COVID. Um, I'm really excited. So I think those are going to be great films. Um, but Batfleck was definitely the highlight when in pretty much every review that I read. Um, so, I mean, that that was a good point there about that. But but what was it? I mean, you said you mentioned that it, it was all over the place. And I'll tell you this. Yeah, I'll, I'll count. I'll counter yeah. with this. The extended cut does cover and give more push as to Clark Kent, Clark Kent, and Superman's journey in the film. Um, when I was watching the, the the extended cut, you can definitely see like they cut out these bits and pieces that you that may seem minuscule, but they actually do help kind of push the narrative a little bit more. It really helps yeah, answer those questions. That. Um, yeah. And so when I'm when I'm talking about studios getting involved in directors' visions, you know, you got to let these guys do their job. They come to you with a script. They come to you with a vision. Let them do it. You know, Marvel lets their guys do it all the time with some control. Uh, you know, but yeah, Warner Brothers. I think they're trying to get back on the right track now that they've kind of merged with, I guess, AT and T and HBO and them. And now we're getting the the Snyder Cut on HBO Max and, and you know these other films that are coming to light and. Um, you know, Wonder Woman was a great introduction. We got the Trinity for the first time on on camera together. Um, Lex Luthor, what are your thoughts on that? On Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, man, you know, I just I really became. There was a rumor that Brian Cranston was going to be Lex Luthor a long oh, yeah, time ago, yeah. and I I just got so attached to that man. Like I got too too attached to it to the. To the point that I you saw it, it was real. Didn't even want to give anybody <laughs> else a chance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, which I think would have been fantastic, but that's beside yeah. the point. Uh, it was interesting. I mean, were they going for a younger Lex Luthor, or, or did they just were they just like let's just let's go off the beaten path here? So this was one of those. This was one of the points. The uh, more of a down point for this film, um, in a lot of people's eyes, with Lex Luthor. And I'll tell you what. Watching it this time around, I definitely think. And I wrote it in my notes here. I wrote, "This is a Lex Luthor origin story," um, because by the end of the film is when he gets his head shaved finally. Um, and if you actually look at old DC comics, he did rock rock the long red hair, um, you know, that kind of style. And and I think. At the end of this film, and then there's even a hint at the end of Joss Whedon's Justice League where he's wearing a suit, he's on a yacht, he's meeting Deathstroke. Um, and then I think once we really get to see more of that in Zack Snyder's cut of Justice League and even in future films, if things go according to plan, um, I would love to see Jesse Eisenberg after this to see what more he can do. And I wouldn't be surprised if they even brought in his like, 
you know, mech suit that he faces off to Superman with. Um, so, I mean, I, watching it again and again and again, I'm thinking like, you know, Eisenberg didn't do as bad as I initially thought. I think it's just that this is a, he's a younger, naive, very, he, he's coming into his own as a villain, you know? Um, and I think it's a good counterbalance to have this big, strong, godlike person versus a very uh, scrawny, very skittish, very, you know, daddy issues billionaire, you know, to have those counterbalance. Yeah, I mean, as opposed yeah. to having a really bald, you know, buff or really strong, uh, you know, bald headed figure right out the gate. Yeah. Uh, I just, I instantly thought of when you, when you said that, I instantly thought of Kingpin. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I love Jesse Eisenberg and I know that the character, like who Lex Luthor is from what I could tell, at least, uh, it's pretty close to who, like most of the characters Jesse Eisenberg mm-hmm. plays, um, kind of that like glib, like flippant, flippant. that's um, a good one. Yeah. Like just like very, like not, not sarcastic, but just like elitist, mm-hmm. um, like I'm smarter than social anybody. network. Perfect example. Uh, Right, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, I I didn't hate the film. I just had a lot of trouble keeping up with how quickly it jumped back and yeah. forth. Um, and it just didn't feel complete. Uh, but there were some really great points. I mean, that fight scene in the warehouse oh, yes. is like one of the coolest superhero fight scenes yeah you can say it's it's one of the greatest it's probably in my opinion the best batman fighting sequence i've ever seen on screen um it's really superhero that's another thing i mean i think that's that's up there with uh chris evans captain america fighting style i mean that's it's beautifully choreographed and i mean i wrote here arkham game series arkham just arkham games that's what i wrote immediately yeah exactly and it's it's got that little bit of extra brutality because Again, I have not read the comics as much as you have, so please correct me if I'm wrong. But I think that this sort of form of Batman, he's kind of like giving less of a fuck. Pretty much. We we've seen yeah. the hints of the of Robin, which you know hints at the Red Hood storyline and Joker is established and he's done this for twenty years. Um so he's just this, you know, and you can see it in the costume, these bullet holes and things. You know, the guy is just done. He's just worn down. That's why he's hit yeah. this breaking point with Superman. Um which a lot of fans had a problem with, which is, you know, the use of guns, which made me laugh because in the, in the shoot, when he's driving his Batmobile around and he's shooting people, I was thinking, I was like, everyone has a problem with this, but if you get on Arkham night, what are you doing? I mean, yeah. I kind of thought of it like that too. And I was like, for anyone who says Batman doesn't kill anyone, um, sure. Great. In some iterations, but in some other ones, you, you can't not say that he doesn't get someone he doesn't accidentally kill someone or he gets them pretty much borderline there. Right. Yeah. And wasn't there a scene where he actually had a gun in his hand? Uh, I think you mean the rifle scene, but he was using it as a, to get a tracking beacon onto or tracker onto a truck, which was a, okay. A, for some reason I'm remembering there was a scene with a pistol. Uh, Maybe he was in a dream that he had. No, 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 no. There's no pistols, nothing like that. Um, okay. I mean, he was taking one from a goon in the warehouse scene. Um, but, yeah. I mean, there's there was a lot more good stuff the more I was watching this film. And it definitely sets up a lot of the good the stuff that I think Snyder was 
uh, trying to do with his five film arc. Um, and again, it, if we see that, I really hope so. I really hope that we get more Snyder stuff because I want him to complete this arc to see the full vision of Man of Steel one, that be you know Batman versus Superman, then Justice League one, two, three. If we get another Man of Steel sequel, um, you know the the big theme about this movie too is about power. You know, is it good? Is it bad? Who controls it? How do you control it? You know, what makes someone above somebody else? Uh, those kind of themes are starting to come out this time around when I was watching it. Um, and a lot of people want to compare this to Iron Man 2 and Civil War, um, as it did come out the same year as Civil War, just a few months apart. But, you know, it's funny because the reviews for Iron Man 2 were not as harsh as as this film got. Um, and Civil War is a different story, but I think that the thing about Civil War versus this film, and again, this is about expectations here, is that Civil War had multiple films to, to set up these characters, set up the emotions, set up the relationships, set up their, their – we had Iron Man 1, 2, 3, Captain America 1, 2, and then the third one, Civil War. We had two, two Avengers films for it, so we know the characters. We know their motivations. We know what makes them sad. We know what makes them happy, uh, whereas Batman v Superman, I think, got the same message across, but in, a, in one film. It may have not executed because we don't know the full story of these characters. We didn't have enough time to really sit with them and understand them, um, which, again, I think is the point for a five film arc um, to dive deeper into it. You know, it's kind of a rush process, but I don't know. I'm not Zack Snyder. Perhaps he had a better idea. And I think that they the the, the Justice League plugs, uh, you could argue is a little bit much. You could argue maybe. It wasn't necessary. I think it, in the way it was done, it was a little unnecessary at some points, um, you know. And the other thing, of course, was in, this film is not great. I want I want everyone to know that I'm not saying that this film is perfect. It's not perfect by any means, but it is not a terrible film. I think it was something that, yeah, I, don't I think, think so. it was a film <clears throat> that tried to do a lot because of the time. Because you know, Marvel versus DC. I mean, that's always going to be a thing. Um, and I think that like, it just was a little bit ahead of its time in a way, like it was trying to be really, really smart with the themes and, you know, things like that. And then of course you get the cut, you know, version that, you know, that we saw in theaters. And so you have all this, like in your case, like what, why is it all over the place? I mean, you do have Lois Lane doing this, Batman doing that, Superman doing this, Lex's plan. Then you've got the, you know, Wonder Woman side plot, you know, you do have a lot going on there. So I can agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, but that that's that's kind of my take on it. I mean, I wrote like a whole page of notes. I was actually surprised at that. And the idea that constantly you know, that that everything, no matter good or bad, even the good stuff specifically, because that's the problem Superman deals with, has a consequence. Um, and I mean, I could go on about this film forever. I mean, I, I, I as you can tell, I do enjoy it. I do think it's a fun time. It's beautiful to look at um, on the big screen, of course. So, I mean, do, do, do yeah. you have any other points that perhaps that maybe I'm missing here or, or. No, I mean, I just, I do agree that it is Zack Snyder does a great job of making a film that is uh, a, a piece of art, um, you know, IE 300 yeah. and Watchmen are both very eye catching mm-hmm. movies. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I, I don't think that it's terrible in, by any means. Uh, I don't think it's great mm-hmm. by any means. Um, I did enjoy the cinematography, uh, the way that it was kind of arranged. I enjoyed that. 
Um, but I, I'm hoping that, you know, I, there, there's so much hype behind Zack Snyder's Justice League. I hope yeah. it lives up to it. Most definitely. And can kind of revamp this whole thing and we can have a little bit more faith in whatever. Absolutely, man. A hundred percent. I am a hundred percent behind that. <laughs> and, you know, at this rate, it sounds like everything's going to be on the streaming services. We got Wonder Woman coming out next month. Um, so that's fine with me. I mean, I already have a subscription to HBO Max. So that's totally fine. You just keep giving me more. Um, but I think uh, for the viewers out there or for the listeners, I think we've talked enough about Batman versus Superman. Um this is not a Batman versus Superman episode. As you can tell, I'm very passionate about it. But, um, well, I got upset when you said you weren't Zack Snyder because I was planning on doing a podcast oh, with Zack Snyder. But I, did I not? I did I lie on my? Will, I think I lied on my application. Fine. I put Snyder just to see if I can get an interview. And then I did put out applications. Everyone, please apply. I'm trying to get rid of this guy. <laughs> um, I'm just I do think I do think visually appealing movies we can talk about interstellar. Mm. Yes. Um because it is a very visually appealing movie. And I know that I'm pretty sure you and I agree on this one. Mm-hmm. Um at least from what I know, but I think it's a phenomenal film. It's on my top yeah. ten. Um I, I think it's incredible. And the Rotten Tomatoes has it at 72% audience at 4.9. So not like a huge um, gap there, but a, a, a sizable yeah. one at least. Um, I, I mean, I know you're a huge fan of Christopher Nolan, and so am I. I think he's yeah. a master. Um, and, I, I mean, I love the film. From what you told me and what I was reading, it seemed to be the ending that was kind yes. of the... Yeah, factor. and that was the weird thing is, um, according to the you know list that we were looking at, um, most of the films had a you know somewhat like it was in favor of this way or it's favor in that way, but this one I it wasn't really a way to nail it you know perfectly. It was just kind of like up in the air, fifty fifty on both parties, the audience and the critics, that thought that the ending was too. Um, it was trying to it was it was essentially being trying too hard. Like it was a solid space film up until the ending. Um, with the fifth dimension, communicating with Murph, doing all these different things. But if you know anything about Nolan in his films, if you've seen his films, they have, especially, and not, and I'm not talking about the Dark Knight films, although those are great too, but uh, Inception, Memento, uh, um, The Prestige, you know, um, those kind of films. Uh, Dunkirk. A lot of mine. Yeah, and especially films. if you've seen Tenet, they have a way of beginning one way ending obviously but the end connects to that beginning note and that is exactly what interstellar does and uh i was watching it today like you said taylor visually stunning visually beautiful one of the best i think it's pretty much on everyone's you know top 10 top whatever space films to watch um i got a i got a buddy from college who loves that movie he says his number one film um of all time in his opinion um but yeah, I, 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 I mean, I can, I can the, see the argument for that. 
the the film is is actually it pulls at your strings on emotional levels and it's matthew mcconaughey coming off of dallas oh, buyer's club I think yeah. this is his next film that he did after that so after winning an oscar you go to work with christopher nolan i mean like that's they gotta be a dream come true let's set up for yeah, yeah exactly oscar, yeah. and then you go and, and and i will say that the film throws a lot of space jargon at you that i had trouble following you know keeping up with um but but i'm that's not, I'm not a, I'm not a fucking scientist i'm not an astronaut i don't work for nasa you know um but are there anything about it that you didn't like i mean there there really wasn't man i mean i'm looking at a couple of reviews here and it's interesting the between two critics it's interesting that the difference um this one from empire says brainy barmy and beautiful to behold this is stephen hawking star trek a mind-bending opera of space and time with a soul wrapped up in all the science and then you've got Washington Post for a movie about transcending all manner of dimensions interstellar ultimately falls surprisingly wow. flat. So it's I will say what was like two almost 3 hours 249 it, it felt it felt it, like five. <laughs> yeah. And not in a bad way dude like not in a bad way at all which is interesting cuz it's so much about time and space and you know yep. bending those and traveling through those uh and it really did feel like five. And going back to something I said in episode one or episode two, sorry, about what makes a movie good. Uh, this movie put me in the mm-hmm. world of Interstellar. I mean, mm-hmm. I felt like it was real. Um, and you said pulling at the heartstrings. I mean, absolutely. Oh, the Hans music, Zimmer, man. Always bringing his A game. Oh yeah, he he's an absolute master, and the music that he did for this film is yeah is incredible. Um, I don't remember was the song called "Stay." That's like the big theme that like you, a, if you go on you, I'm I'm one of the people who likes to go onto YouTube and find like music uh, scores to kind of study or do things to, and that's one that always pops up. It's Interstellar yeah. and Stay. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think you're referring to yeah. when he's literally um, driving off and it, you know, before they lift off and it, it very, it's again, that's pulling at your string. Is that what you're referring to? I believe so. Yeah. And I think, I, I mean, it's kind of the theme of the whole film. Yeah. It's a piano piece. Um, or at least the piano is the main, the main source of, of the melody, but um, the ending, I think the most contentious part of the ending from what I've read is uh, when he's behind mm-hmm. the bookcase, that, that's, yeah, and he's giving her the gravitational theory or solving the gravitational theory, or she solves mm-hmm. it, um, and then it saves mankind, humankind. Yeah, right? I think it's the the um, idea of him hitting the fifth dimension, um, and then through that kind of doing like time travel, linking it to the beginning of the film where Murph is like, "You're this is a ghost, this is a ghost," and he in the past is saying ghosts don't exist like this is just like gravity whatever but really it was him in the future um and that's where people right. i think are starting to kind of we're, we're thinking like this is a cop out like what the fuck are we listening are we watching now like this you know it was, you had me until the, which i can you know i remember watching and thinking like this is like i now i'm lost like i'm fucking lost but in like you're saying when older murph realizes what was happening because she's had all the time to study on earth you know and then she's an adult she figures it out and, so, and realizes what was going on. Um, and essentially he was the ghost the entire time or ghost parentheses, you know? Yeah. 
Um, I can understand why that would be seen as a cop out, but I just think it was done yeah. so well, man. Like Nolan just did it, did it too well. I I couldn't find anything wrong with it. Um, I mean, I, I was kind of running through it today. I was like, what's an alternative ending for this? Yeah, you know, and it that's kind of a big question. It's a lot to think about, but I was like, I just feel like it fits. Yeah, I think the ending. Which, thinking about it now, reminds me of another film he did. Which, uh, well, that's not true. I mean, I guess a lot of the films that he does, now that I think about it, if you look at, um, you know, The Dark Knight, you look at The Dark Knight Rises, you look at Inception, um, Tenet, Dunkirk, all those films, they're left with an open-ended ending. The journey is over for there, but there's so much potential when the film ends. And at the end of this film, we find, um, I forget her name in the film, but Anne Hathaway's character, um, she ends up alone, Bran, Dr. Bran. So she ends up on the planet they were trying to get to alone uh, by herself because, you know, they were losing crew along this journey and she's the only survivor, essentially. And uh, Cooper, Matt McConaughey, uh, finds Murph, but she's now an old, you know, woman. And, you know, she's older now than he, he ever, you know, he is. And she's had this entire family and all this stuff. And she's tells she tells him, you know, you need to go, find Bran like essentially go start this new civilization together um and it mm-hmm. leaves it open-ended because we don't know because he does leave on a ship but does he get to her do they create this new civilization she's on she's all by herself on a planet I think with TARS which is that like AI um so it's like that open-ended yeah that Who was him? oh man I remember when I found him it was like Billy something but he's actually a, I forget what his filmography is but the name was like when I looked him up the first time, um, he was pretty notable. Um, I want to say it's like Billy, Bill Irwin. Bill Irwin. He also did the puppeteering for yeah. it, for it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and and I thought it was Matt Damon at first, honestly, when I first saw it, and then it wasn't until spoiler alert, Matt Damon shows up. I was like, okay, that's not him because Matt Damon's actually in this film. I didn't even expect that. <laughs> uh, fucking Matt Damon. Yeah. Um, but then, um, but yeah, so the, the idea of the open-ended ending, um, and I, and I, I again, I don't, I think it's okay to leave it that way. Um, I wouldn't want to see the happy ending of them building an entire, like, this just, that, that to me would be a cop-out, you know? Um, but the yeah. ending itself, it does get a little bit complicated. It kind of hurts the brain a little bit. I'll agree on that. Um, but I think it was a pretty good film. I, I liked it. It's Nolan. Nolan likes to fuck with your brain. And I think I, I remember watching an interview with him. And when they asked him about why he does these things, he's like, because fuck it. That's why. Because, like, it's film. Like, fuck it. Like, why not? <laughs> in, in, in lack of better terms. But I'm pretty sure that was him who said it. And he's like, do you like messing like with the head? He's like, why not? Like, fuck it. It's film. You know? Um, so I can respect that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of his films, you know, can do that. Um but yeah, I, I, to anyone out there who who's listening and thinks that Interstellar is a piece of shit, I would love to know why. I would love to get your opinion as to why it is a piece of shit. Because clearly, you got two guys here who are very, very fond of it, if not love it. So I don't know. I mean, I didn't really have any notes on what was wrong with the film. No, I I I don't have anything. I, like I couldn't think of anything yeah. that's wrong with it. Um, I I really just thought it was a. F- yeah, Fantastic even down movie. to the the minor roles in the cast. I mean, I think having you know Jessica Chastain, and you know, then you have Casey Affleck, even have Topher Grace uh, in a minor role. You've got you know Michael, well Michael Caine's in every Nolan film. Um, 
David Oyelo, or I believe that's how you say it. it just, the, everything is good. Now, is it his best? Is Nolan's best? I don't think so. I don't think it's Nolan's best. Do I think it's one of his one of the good ones? Yeah, I think it's one of the good ones. Um, so I, I can't really say anything negative about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it ha- it's had a very similar feel yes. to Tenet. Yes. Um, especially with the beginning yeah. and the ending. Um, kind of that full circle effect he mm-hmm. likes to make, but... Um, yeah, I think it was a, an interesting option because it was, you know, you had Batman Begins, you had the Prestige, which I thought was like, whoa, that's completely different. And then you had the Dark Knight. Then you had Inception, which was mind blowing in my opinion. Then you had the Dark Knight Rises, and then right after that, you go to space and Interstellar. You know, um, and if you look at it, even in that yeah. sense of a trilogy, because I remember reading on like this is the Nolan superhero trilogy, this is the Nolan trilogy, like the Nolan film trilogy, whatever. So you had like Prestige inception and then interstellar and i think we can agree on the same scale as batman begins dark knight and dark knight rises the third film in that series and each one of those is probably not the strongest one and the second one is probably the best of the three whereas the first one is a really solid like entry at the time yeah yeah I, and i, 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 I remember reading that one um, i think interstellar came out but I think that's a solid, like, like I never thought it was like, that's really smart. Like, it's this weird um, trans, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for, trans, this transcending, like, very out there, very almost mind-bending, because the prestige deals with the magicians and magic, but it's science. And then you have the Inception, which deals with this other element of dreams and more science. And you have Interstellar, yeah. takes it, and then... Just Nolan is a, is trademark. He has got a trademark. Yeah. Uh, if style. you if you're ever curious, look up and uh, anyone's listening, uh, look up how he came up with the idea of Memento. Like on a he he does it on a chalkboard, like the way he thinks of the film and whatnot, like how he kind of drew out the screenplay. If you're curious to see how weird it can get, just watch his the you know how he came up with Memento or the the essential layout of the film. Now that we've we've talked about these three films, um, we're going to go ahead and talk about a film that we both love um, that I think and watching it again the second time gets better the second time. And I think it's a a perfect film um, of of family dynamics gone wrong. Um, Perfect for the gathering at the table um, and, and, and whatnot. A film that is disturbing, a film that is. That is smart in its writing. A24, um, they are doing great things. Um, and that film we, we are now segueing into is uh, Hereditary. Um, written and directed by Ari Aster. Um, great film. If you've seen Midsommar, this is the film that came before it. And um, according to Rotten Tomatoes, 
Hereditary came in at 89% with the critics and 67% with the audience. This was a film that we found on the list that the audience did not favor, but the critics did. Um, and so that being said, I have an entire page of notes I took today. But Taylor, I would love to hear your point of view on this film. Well, um, I mean, I this is one of my favorite horror films, probably top three. I mean, I've got it's probably this and the Babadook are my top two. Um, but Hereditary, I think that it didn't hit with audiences for a very particular reason, for the same reason that some people I've spoken to, I don't know how the Babadook did in general with audiences, but I've spoken to people who've seen it and they kind of have the same uh, response to both. And that is that it, it's sort of hard to understand. Uh, you know, it, it seems that like, uh, with a lot of horror films, we've like hereditary is much more mm -hmm. psychological horror. Um, and it definitely has like, it's, it's not jump scares. It's not yes. a terrifying monster. Um, it takes a little bit of thinking, which, which makes me sound like I'm trying <laughs> to seem like I'm smarter than everyone, but it's just, yeah. it's just how the film is. Um, much like, I mean, things like it, it's very similar to um, in the style of horror that it is. It's very mm -hmm. similar to the witch, um, which is another great horror film. Another one of my favorites, um, but it's, it's just different. And I think that kind of hit audiences in a different yeah. way than they were expecting. Uh, I think people were expecting something. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. No, I agree. Basically. Man. I, uh, I watched um, the trailer yeah. Um, so I, I watched the movie um, years ago when because I, I, I no I, I saw it in theaters, but when I saw it in theaters I had this like whoa reaction because and looking back on it and, and today I, I finished the film for the second time today I looked up the trailer afterward and the trailer and it's exactly what I remember the trailer perceives it as this you know crazy horror film like whatever right. Um, but then watching the movie, you get a completely different product. It's not jump scares. It's not a, the, this Blair Witch that they, you know, some people were advertising it as. It's completely different. Um, and and I think to your note about what fans were expecting, would would you say that in the last, you know, maybe I, I guess before the the idea of indie horror was kind of around. I mean, I think that's something that's kind of kind of growing more so in the last maybe like. Uh, maybe the last 10 years, well, maybe, maybe the last, maybe 10 years, maybe 10 years. Right. Um, but what would you say to us as an audience becoming too, I guess, favorable or reliant upon jump scare films? Well, I, I feel like I remember Ari Aster saying that he kind of wanted to do that on purpose mm -hmm. with the trailer. I, I maybe, but I wouldn't be that, surprised but... because again, I got you go and going expecting one thing and you come out with a completely different product, which I enjoyed in this sense. I actually enjoy that. I would prefer that because trailers show too much nowadays, whether it's the studio, whoever the hell's cutting it. I, I think trailers are showing too much these days, you know? So I'm glad that that's the case, but do you think that we have become too accustomed and, and you think there's a huge fandom for jump scares and things like that as in like the 80s and the 90s or well, maybe more so the 80s but there was that uh slasher flick you know 
uh, kind of era, and then you had the movie monster era. Do you think we went through a phase of jump scares? Well, yeah. I mean, I think there's just there's just different, like they're just different styles of horror films. Um, and I think that I don't know if it's a I don't know if it's necessarily a dependency. I just feel like you know a lot of people prefer slashers, and some people prefer monster flicks. Um, some people prefer mm-hmm. the psychological thriller. Um, and I think there's place yeah. for all of it. Uh, but I do think a lot of people uh, in our generation, at least, do like the in-your-face horror. The horror that you can see, you know, the horror that you that you kind of, in yeah. a sense, know is coming. Um, I'm trying to think of a, of a recent horror film that's kind of like... I don't know. Uh, the Purge is a. I loved the first Purge, but the Purge is kind of a. It's a horror film. You get what you mm-hmm. get. What you see, like you get what you pay for. You get yeah. what you expect, right? Like they lay it out for you. This is what it is, and that's what you get. Um. Uh, and then there's like that whole. I don't know, like the Grudge and the Ring. Um, they have a little bit of psychological horror to them, but they're like, there's one focus on what mm-hmm. the horror is, and you don't really have to yeah. figure it out. Um, which again, I I don't want to seem like I'm saying like, uh, you know, you're only like those <laughs> if you're dumb, because the Ring and the Grudge are yeah. classic horror movies. Like, there's mm-hmm. no doubt about that. Um, but Hereditary. It just Ari Aster in my mind is just an is an artist mm-hmm. with the slow build. Um, I mean his movies Midsommar and Hereditary they just they build mm-hmm. from the beginning to the end, and there's there's never any like there's small spikes, but from what I remember there's not really any like huge spikes where it's like ah! and then you're yeah. back to normal. It's just like this slow, gradual build, and by the end, you're like, "What the <laughs> fuck is going on?" Um, but like no, in man, a good way. And and um, um, I, some of the things that I was I was thinking about today, watching it again, and I remember watching in the theater and hearing people go like, "Oh fuck!" Um, there's a lot of subtle subtle scares in the film. It's not so in your face, not very loud. Um, like there are a lot of moments um, where there are people hiding in the corner in the shadows and you don't see them until they actually start moving. And I remember watching it the first time in yeah. the theater and I'm like, holy fuck, there's a lady in the corner. And then this time around too, be like, oh shit. And I could, I was like, hold on, let me rewind that. Like I'm too standing there. And then there's a subtle like climbing on the walls and they're in the background, but you don't really see them until you see that one little movement. And you just oh, are God. like, oh, fuck that dude. I'm, yeah. It's, it gives it's, me chills, man eerie it's disturbing um but i think that fucks with your head more it's, than knowing what's there it's yeah it's much more making yes. you uncomfortable yes and without you even realizing it like by the middle of the movie you're kind of like squirming and you yeah. feel a little bit sick like the the and uh spoiler alert we haven't said this so far but whatever um the part where that, and I remember you saying this. A lot of people were upset that they advertised the daughter so much. 20 minutes dies, time, whatever, like, yeah. Yeah. But that <laughs> part, man, Like, he's... he's Ari Aster is incredible with 
and I, I let me backtrack on my statement with the when I said there aren't big spikes. There are some spikes, but it's not a jump scare. It's just so unbelievably yes. unexpected. Like jumps, traditional jump scares are like it's you know it's set up like someone's walking down a dark hallway and there's like you know there's doors on either side and it's totally pitch black dark but you see some light coming out of one room the music something's gonna up, happen things right? like, like that you know something's yeah. gonna happen right exactly but with that death in hereditary yeah there was nothing like there was a very small amount like maybe in the minute leading up to it music might have changed a little bit there was a little bit of like Okay. Whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. And then yeah, it just so you see that little dead. Happens. He sees the dead animal on the road. He swerves, and it's over in like not even I think a second. It's just done, and it's just that moment of realization. He stops the car, and all of a sudden you're like, "Wait, that didn't just." I remember in the theater, everyone's like, "Hold up, hold the fuck up!" Like that did not just happen. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah. watching you go like, "Oh, motherfucker!" Like that did that happen? So then, why would you advertise the film this way? Yeah. But again, I'm cool with it. I'm okay with that. Getting something that I'm not seeing all over the place, you know? And yeah. I love it. It was so, it's so disturbing. And then it just, yeah. Go, mm, 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 mm. It's, a, it's, it's, it, and kind of a side note, mm-hmm. but on the same subject, uh, Tony Collette is mm-hmm. incredible in this movie. Um, she uh, just, it's amazing. I mean, Hereditary is at its core a family drama gone as yeah. wrong as it possibly can. Um, I mean, it really is. It's just – it's a family drama. A daughter that has uh, – I don't want to say – I don't. I'm not sure what it is exactly, but she has – some kind of so she's got a she's got uh, some kind of I would I would call it more of a um social, social I don't know disorder if it's a learning disability or a mental challenge social yeah. disorder something like that um and then you've got a family kind of trying you know cope and and raise their kids normally and a brother who's kind of like I don't really care but yeah. I love my sister um and then her dad who's kind of like removed from yeah. it all in a sense um and then the mom who's just yeah. trying to keep it all together yeah there was um. Oh, um, go ahead. Go ahead. And sh- yeah. Well, I was going to say, no, Ari no, no, Aster, I was reading into it today because I was, I was trying to find out because at the very end of Hereditary, there's this ear. Oh, God, the music is so fucking creepy. But there's this, there's the music playing at the very end of the film. And I was like, that sounds like it was in Midsommar, which I wouldn't be surprised if it was the same uh, person scoring the film, which I didn't look into. But I looked up the scene for Midsommar, the ending scene, and I looked up um, something. But immediately it was saying, are these films connected? And he said they're not directly connected, but they're within the same universe of, of kind of like his little films. Like, that's whatever. Fine. It's like Tarantino-ish, I guess. But um, he actually said, and, I'm, and it's funny you say that, he said that Hereditary is a family drama first, and then it be, has the elements of horror in it. Midsommar is a relationship drama that delves into the horror realm. But those are the first things right. like he's, exactly. he's thinking about before going too deep into the horror. It's like, this is our base family drama relationship drama and then we throw a layer of horror on top of it uh, but it, again it's not in your face it's very sudden you don't expect it midsummer there's tons of those scenes in there um but there's a lot of dude there's a lot of things i caught the second time the idea of um that who said i think it, uh but, 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 but somebody said something about arrogance in the film um and it was about the they mentioned in the beginning about arrogance and ignoring signs the entire time. I literally wrote that and said foreshadowing. 
um because the entire film there's all the, yeah and they're literally putting it on a platter for me because i'm looking for it though you know when you're first watching you may not catch it but i'm looking and i'm like holy shit they're literally feeding you what's about to happen the entire film um with yeah. everything in hereditary and this is from webster uh in a biological sense it's genetically transmitted or transmittable form uh Oh, wait. Oh, from the parent or two offspring or a characteristic or fostered by uh, one's predecessors. And one of the things that they talk about is Annie, Tony Collette's family having, you know, the dad having dementia, the brother being schizophrenic, the mother having dementia and passing away. What does Annie have? And then you dive more into her trauma and things like that. So this idea of just family pain passing from one family to the next, to the next, to the next, those things like you know, sleepwalking, Charlie's death, avoiding the problems, fake, a lot of good stuff there. And I think one of the best scenes in that entire film, and please, if you have a better scene, let me know. But I think one of the best scenes and the one I see a lot of is the dinner scene. Um, and I I literally watched it like, what a great Thanksgiving moment. <laughs> like, this is what Thanksgiving's yeah. about. If you don't have one of these moments, like, you must have a perfect family. Um, but... I mean, like, if you do, then something's probably wrong there. Um, but the, 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 you know what scene I'm talking about, the dinner scene, when they just go off on each other and, you know, it's after yeah. Charlie's already passed away. Yeah. And um, I think when you're to, to Tony's, Tony Collette's credit, you know, you're talking about how great she did in this film. That scene, I, I felt a lot of the emotion at its, at its peak. Um, and I've seen her in other things, and it was like, I mean, I mean she's here and there, yeah, cool, whatever. But this was a film I was like, holy shit, like, I have never seen her do this kind of work before. Uh, and you've got, I think, was it, is this Nat yeah. or Alex Wolf? So, Alex uh, Wolf from the Alex. Naked Brothers Band, for those of you who don't know. Um, but yeah, and he did great in it as well. He, yeah, he was also amazing. I love. I will bring this up in a conversation, even if it doesn't fit at all. But I talk about that, that scene where he, um, the, the scene with the, uh, yeah, in, in at class. the desk. Yeah. Where he just starts essentially having a seizure. Um, but he, um, that in that scene, like when he's bleeding from his nose, he offered Ari Oster, he was like, I will break my nose. Like, I don't care. Like, let's do this. Yeah. Let's do this for real. And Ari Aster was like, no, 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 no. Like, we don't want you to break your own nose. And I, f I think from reading, when I read about it, he, he got so into it that he like ripped the skin on his knee yeah. on the bottom of the desk and started bleeding. And then like, I remember reading that he somehow that the blood on his nose was real because he, I don't want to. I don't want to say the wrong thing here, but I think I remember reading that he used that for the blood on his nose. Um, but even if that's not true, it was just intense to me that he got so into it that he, you know, yeah. cut his yeah. knee on the desk. Um, but he, yeah, he's also yeah. incredible in that film. Um, and so is the daughter. I mean, I know she she isn't in it very long, but she she just nails the vibe that yeah. she's supposed to be putting off. Um, and it's, it's just a great, great, mm -hmm. great horror movie. Um, and I remember reading some audiences reviews, basically the gist of it was like, this is too artsy <laughs> and inexplicable, inexplicable. Yeah. Which is fine. Like, and that's kind of what I was saying with, uh, there's a certain 
fan base for horror movies that you just you mm-hmm. don't have to think about as much as others. Which is again is totally fine. I have a spot in my heart for those too. Um but I think that it was just kind of like what you said about expectations. It was advertised as one of the horror movies that's just in your face. Uh, And then when we see it, it takes, it's got that super slow build and it takes some thought um, about what's going on. No, a hundred percent agreed. And yeah, I think Um, that's one of the things is, you know, the emergence of, of indie horror is, you know, and it, it, for anyone, I mean, it could be around for many, many years than I'm really thinking of it, but I feel like there's just been a bigger, like, presence of indie horror. And I think I prefer that more than the normal flick because the normal flick is just kind of like it's the same shit. It's cookie cutter, you know? But when you get a solid, like, you know, yeah. horror film, I mean, like, it's maybe the movie It is probably like an exception, the first one, because um, that was like just, that was really good, like, but it was a big studio kind of horror. Like, it was good, though. Um, but then you get films like, you know, these sequels, like the, I think they're making another Chainsaw Massacre movie. You get a Freddy, you get a Jason, you get a paranormal activity. They had, uh, the, the fantasy Island movie, which was in my opinion was shit. It's a, but they're, you know, targeting these like 13 year olds who are going to sneak in, you know, and try to watch it or whatever, you know? Um, but you get films like Midsommar, yeah. you get films like the witch, you get films like even the lighthouse. If you want to consider that, I mean, that's kind of on the disturbing ish, you know, thriller side of things. It's a thriller. Yeah. And then it, it yes, it comes that's what, uh, as well. it comes at night. It follows it. I remember watching it follows with a friend and, uh, that was, she talked so much about it, but it was such a weird movie, but it, you know, the themes are on, on certain things. I mean, like those elements, even the stranger, the strangers, that's a good one too. And that was, I think, a studio, like a bigger studio. But then you get this. Yeah. But then you get the sequel that Strangers came out years later. And that one just looked like, hey, we want your money. We're making a sequel. We're pumping it out. Um, like that just looked like ass. But the first one was s- slow, silent. It was kind of, it was creepy when it needed to be. It was scary when it needed to be. It, it covered those elements. So to each their own. I mean, I always love a good, you know, slasher flick, whatever. Um, but I, I think that that Hereditary was the first film in a, in a long time that had hit me with that holy shit like we're kind of you no know, this is like this is like a real thing like indie horror and this is it this is not a big studio because I think at the time A twenty four was yeah. not a huge studio um, at the time and now they're doing all these great films they yeah they put out some incredible horror films a uh, Green Room is yes. another great one that, yeah. that they put out um. But yeah, man, it's 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 an extremely solid horror film. Um, obviously, a divisive for yeah. its, for for its own reasons. Um, but yeah. I would I would and, recommend uh, anybody. I, I think that's a yeah. I mean, I think that's a great you know stopping point for pretty much where we're at. I mean, like as you guys have to, as you guys can here i mean these are some solid picks here obviously you can lean towards one or the other i mean there's more on the list you can find it on screen rent um on their website um now if you are interested in in watching some of the films that we did talk about on today's uh episode um hereditary you can find that on amazon prime uh and then of course interstellar um it's available with certain subscriptions on certain services like hulu um if you have fx you can watch it on hulu and then Batman versus Superman, you can catch it on HBO Max. And then Star Wars, you can catch it on Disney Plus, um, as well as all the other films, like all the other Star Wars films on there. But 
Um, if you are interested in checking those out, if you don't already own them, you can definitely check them out on your streaming services. I was going, so my, my recommendation for this week, um, was going to be, oh, uh, in Bruges, um, which may be a little bit more popular than I'm, than I'm thinking, but, uh, in Bruges is a great Colin Farrell movie. Um, also, uh, really well written, especially with the uh, twists and turns that it has in it. But uh, in Bruges, my recommendation for the week. Um, and uh, we actually did want to go ahead and plug our buddy uh, Nate Short, uh, who was kind enough and wonderful enough to make uh, our new logo, which you can see on your phone screen or computer screen, whatever you're watching on. Um, and his Instagram is at Cowboy Nate Design. So get at him if you need anything designed, uh, graphic design, digitally, whatever you might need. He's a wonderful dude. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So. Um, and of course, as you're listening to this on your way to your family's place, I, you know, whether you want to talk about these films, whether you want to be divisive about whatever topic, whatever that may be, uh, we here at The Long Take would like to wish you all a very uh, happy Thanksgiving, and we hope that you are very safe during this holiday uh, time, especially with COVID-19 around. Uh, so stay safe, wear your masks, uh, avoid those crazy groups, and uh, you know have a Thanksgiving. You know, have a good Thanksgiving, and thank you all so much for tuning in. Make sure to you know uh, follow us on Spotify and uh, let us know what you think. If you find if you see our pages on Instagram, let us know what you think. And uh, yeah, I think that's. I mean, thank you guys so much for for tuning in. And we will hopefully see you guys next week on another episode of The Long Take.